great. Good morning, everybody. Uh, hopefully, everyone can see the the screen, uh, and we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, and today, we're going to go through a few things. <clears throat> First, we're going to explain the legal significance of a lien release. Uh, as a lawyer, I find that many folks don't understand how important it is and why legally uh, it is very important that you read what and understand what it says. Uh, then we're going to talk about some four very specific things you can do to increase your chances of uh, protecting yourself when you exchange your release for payment. First, the first mistake we see people make is not negotiating the form of the release when they sign a contract. Next is having the wrong through date or no through date. Uh, next is not using conditional language uh, in the release, that is, uh, making the release unconditional and then finding out that you don't get the check that you're expecting. Uh, next is not creating exceptions in the release if you know you have a claim uh, and how to preserve that. Uh, then Ariel is going to talk briefly about the Sunray release system. All right, so let's get started by explaining what is a lien release and why is it legally significant. Uh, the first thing you have to understand about a lien release is that uh, it is a document that will release certain rights. Uh, most of the time they're just lien rights, but depending on the document itself, it could be more than just lien rights, um, typically through a period of time. Um, when we deal with legal cases after the fact, when a dispute happens, one of the first things we do is look at the releases. And the reason is, is because when we can line up the releases, uh, we can extinguish certain claims uh, through the date of those releases. So it's important that you understand what the release is doing when you're exchanging it for payment, because you don't want to give up more rights than you are expecting for the check that you're receiving. So as I alluded to, while in construction, almost every release is called a lien release or a lien waiver, depending on the language of the document, you may be releasing rights far in excess of just your lien rights. So if you've seen or had to sign one of those releases that is uh, you know, the better part of a page, uh, lots of fine print, you're probably releasing uh, rights far in excess of your lien rights. It probably says that you're releasing any claims for change orders, delays, impacts, costs. Um, that may not be a problem so long as you don't have those claims. But if you think that you have those claims and you wish to assert them later, when you sign a release that releases those rights, um, then you're giving those away. Uh, so let me give you a brief example of what I mean. Uh, we had a client who was a contractor um, and was making partial payments to a subcontractor. The terms of the release that the subcontractor was signing every month was a broad form release. So while the document itself was titled lien release, it was very broad. And as a result, every month that subcontractor was releasing all of its rights. Um, when a dispute arose, the first thing we did is we took all the releases and we showed the subcontractor that every month they were releasing all these claims that they thought they had. 
fast forward to the end of the case, we won, they lost, uh, primarily because of the releases. Finally, remember that the perspective that you have on a release is dependent on whether you're giving a release or getting a release. So if you are a uh, if you are giving a release in exchange for payment, you want to make sure that you are protected. But if you are expecting a release from somebody else, you want to make sure that you get the broadest release possible. So let's talk about pitfall number one, not negotiating the form of the release. Um, so Florida statutes has a form of release. That release is very basic. The law says that no one can make you sign a release form other than that form that's in the statute. However, what is important to know is that if you sign a contract, and that contract says that you will use the form of release prescribed by the owner or the contractor, or the sample form that you're going to use as part of the contract, that's the form you have to use. Therefore, when you are negotiating and reviewing your contract, don't just skip over the exhibits. You need to look at all of them. Um, and make sure that the release that you're agreeing to provide every month is uh, consistent with the release that you're willing to give. Um, so as I said, if your contract requires a specific form, that's the form you have to use. So you need to negotiate that at the time of contract. Um, what if your contract is silent on the issue, but the contractor demands that you use his form? What do you do? Um, this is called the golden rule, which is uh, he who has the gold makes the rules. So you have to make a business decision, unfortunately, whether or not you're going to give up rights in order to get a check. It's not that that contractor has the right to demand a release other than the statutory form. It's just that you have to make the decision of whether you're going to keep waiting in order to get paid um, or you're going to sign the release or try to work out some compromise. The best way to avoid this in the future is to uh, have an understanding at the beginning of what the release forms are going to look like. So let's talk about pitfall number two, having the wrong through date or no through date. So this is a sample release form, very basic. Um, so let's talk about what the through date is. If you can see, this release says that this release is effective for the materials furnished through, and it says insert date. So the effective date of this release is the date that's inserted there. Um, you want to make sure that the through date in the release matches the amount of money that you're expecting. So this uh, release has a spot where you can put in the amount. Uh, so you want to make sure that if you're expecting a check for $25,000, that the date that you are putting as the through date in the release is the equivalent of the check that you're receiving. If there is no through date in the release, then the release, legally speaking, is effective as of the date that you sign it. So that means that if you are expecting a check for the work through the end of December and you sign the release today and it has no through date, the legal impact of that document is that it's a release as of today. So you have to be very careful about that. Next, you have to make sure that the through date is really a through date um, for the 
materials that and services you're providing. So let me give you an example. We had another client who uh, had a release which had a through date, but the through date, if you read the document, was the date in which the person that was giving the release verified that he paid all his bills through. So the through date for the effectiveness of the release for the subcontractor wasn't that date. It was the date he signed it or she signed it. But if you didn't read carefully, you would see the, the word through date. You would see a date that matched the amount of the money you were expecting. But it, legally, it wasn't the same. Pitfall number three, not using conditional language. So what is a conditional release? Uh, a conditional release, and here's the language for a conditional release, um, which says, this waiver and release is expressly conditioned upon the undersigned's actual receipt of the above-referenced amount in paid funds. Otherwise, this waiver and release is void. So if you are giving a release before you are actually receiving payment or a check, you should use conditional language in your release. Um, it's also important that when you use conditional language, you don't use the normal recitation of consideration of $10. You use the amount that you're actually expecting to receive. So if you're giving a release in exchange for $25,000, the release should say $25,000. It should not say $10 because obviously the condition isn't receipt of $10, it's receipt of the $25,000. Um, something we hear a lot is, uh, but I kept the original, isn't that enough? Uh, there's a much longer explanation I can give you, but, but the short answer is, is no, unequivocally no. Um, the fact that you have an original and someone else has a copy that is, in fact, a true copy, so it's not a forgery, but it's the real thing, but just a copy, um, you have no uh, leverage because you, you are holding the original. Sometimes people want the originals, but legally speaking, a copy is as good as the original. To give you an example of how significant that is, when we handle recording for certain clients, um, we never get an original because all of our recording now with the clerk and in the court is done electronically. So we have clients sign documents, notarize them, scan them back to us, we never see the original, we never get a piece of paper, and we record it with the clerk and file it with the, the court. Um, one of the things that we recommend to, to speed up and increase the use of conditional language is to make a stamp. Um, take the language on the prior slide, uh, spend $10, $15, turn it into a stamp so that you can, when you give a release, uh, you make it a process where you can just stamp it um, and make that release conditional every time you issue a release. Uh, pitfall number four, not creating exceptions to the release. Uh, what if you have other claims that you know exist? The, the two most common that we see all the time are claims for delay or claims for unexecuted or not fully approved change orders. Um, keep in mind that if you sign a release and that release has broader language than the standard form that's in the statute, which again I would tell you most releases that you will sign are probably broader than the statute, um, it probably says that you're releasing claims for 
uh, costs, expenses, work, uh, unexecuted changes, delays, it probably has a long list of items that you're releasing. If you don't preserve your claim, then you will lose it by signing those releases. So the question is, how do you preserve it? Here's another sentence you can use. You can add to the uh, document. You can handwrite it. You can make a stamp. Uh, and it says, notwithstanding the foregoing, this waiver and release specifically excludes blank. That's where you're going to put in certain invoice numbers, uh, a delay claim based on a description. Maybe you submitted a change order. Maybe you have a list of RCOs or PCOs, unexecuted change orders. You're waiting to get approved. Um, you would list those there, which says um, so that you can preserve them for the future. The next thing to remember is that you have to do it month after month. So if you do it on month one, but forget to do it on month two, but sign a release that re re releases everything from that date back, you've lost those rights. So you need to make sure that if you have exceptions to the release, that you carry them forward month after month as exclusions in the document. Um, but what happens if you modify the release and the contractor won't accept it. Uh, this again comes back to the golden rule, which is uh, if you are expecting a check and you want to carve out issues from the release, then you may have an issue with getting that release accepted by the contractor because you've modified it. You have to make the business decision whether or not you're going to make a stand and tell the contractor, no, we have these other claims. I can't give you a release for those. You need to exclude them from the release. 